Welcome to the Garage Podcast, presented to you by the Young Adults Group at Salem First Baptist Church. Thanks for tuning in to hear this week's message from Pastor Tyler Hankey. All right, my friends, we're in a series called Holy One, and it's all about this weird churchy word called holiness that we know God is and we know that we're called to it, but trying to measure it is really, really difficult. So week one, what is holiness? Holiness is the essence of God's perfect character. And I know that that's difficult to conceive of because we're not holy. We're we're not perfect. And so to understand a perfect God is really, really hard. So it was all about definitions and how we can better understand it. Week two was all about the traumatic experience that comes when I take my sinful self and the way that I break rules and the way that I ignore God and I put myself in front of a holy God. Because multiple times throughout scripture, when people come before the Lord, they either die or they pass out or they fall to their knees or they worship or they cry. They do a number of things that for me and you, we need to understand how someone got there. How I, can, how I can take all of my sinful self and put it before a holy God and actually survive. And so that was last week, or excuse me, two weeks ago. Last week, we took a little bit of a break and we looked at God's heart for your finances because we're starting a building campaign. I'll talk more about that later. But today I wanna get back to holiness. And so as you look through scripture, what's interesting to me is that holiness as an idea is mentioned 686 times throughout your Bible. 686 times, either we're talking about God's holiness or you're being called to be holy. You guys can find this in 1 Peter 1.15, be holy as I am holy. Leviticus 19, be holy as I am holy. 1 Peter 2.9, you are a holy nation. Hebrews 12, strive to be holy. It's everywhere. But what in the world does this mean for me as a broken human being to be holy if I understand it to be God's perfectness? How in the world do I do it? We need to talk about, this, talk about that this morning. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And it was really fun because we actually got to read this and dwell yesterday. So we just read through the entire book. And then 1st, 2nd, 3rd, John, Jude, and Revelation. Super fun. But we're, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians 3 this morning, and I'll read it to you. And I want you to be asking... Where do I see what I'm supposed to do in this text? So if I know the command is be holy as God is holy, what do I see practically for me to do in this text? First Thessalonians 3, starting in verse 11, or verse 12. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he, being God, strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father, when our Lord Jesus comes to us with all of his holy ones. Okay, so here's what we're gonna do this morning. We need to talk about the goal that God has for you. We need to talk about how you and me are actually gonna achieve said goal. And we're gonna talk about why in the world would I do it? So number one, the goal that God has for you. Number two, how do I do it? And number three, why? Why should I do this? So when God looks at you and he says, be holy as I am holy, he doesn't leave you to guess what that might be. He goes, let me tell you exactly what I mean when I say be holy. He makes it very practical. And he goes, I want you to love people. Now, for those of you that have grown up in church, you're like, that is the most churchy answer I've ever heard. What should I do as a Christian? I should love people. Awesome. I'm going to just tune out now. Don't tune out. This answer for you as a Christian is stunningly perfect in light of what else we know about God. So when I say be holy as God is holy, let's translate this. I want you to love more 
as God has loved you more. I want you to love more as you have been loved and cherished more than you can possibly imagine. So in the overflow of love that you have experienced, God goes, good, now go do the same thing. If I am perfect and the thing that I choose to do as a perfect individual is love, then you need to go do the same thing if we are called to be like Jesus. So when I look at scripture, there's a number of different ways God is described and there's one that I wanna show you because it works perfectly with this idea that he wants us to love more. So this comes to us from 1 John 4. You don't need to turn there, I'll just read it. 1 John 4, 16. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. So this is not whoever lives in affection. This is whoever lives in agape. Whoever lives in stunning sacrificial love to other people, if you are somehow able to do that, that means that you are living in the power of God. So when I look at this being that I can't see, I can't measure him, the way that he chooses to describe himself, he goes, I am love. I am everything you can even conceive of love being. That's who I am. And so if you engage with me in relationship, you will, you will understand what it is to love other people more. This is what I have for you. This makes perfect sense when I start looking at other texts describing God. This is Matthew 5, 48. It says, he is perfect. Psalm 18, 30, his way is perfect, meaning how he chooses to do things is perfect. 1 Peter 2, 22, there is no sin in him. So again, even if you know nothing about God, here is what you have discovered. When I think about him, he thinks perfectly, he acts perfectly, he says things perfectly, there's no sin in him. He is morally and ethically stunningly perfect, which means that out of all beings in the universe, your God is the best at doing relationships. He's never messed one up. He's never wronged anyone. He's never cheated anyone. He's never lied to anyone. And me and you find this difficult because we have lied to people and we have cheated and we have been cruel with our words and we've held back love and affection, but God's never done this. So if he genuinely is the perfect one at doing all relationships, he looks at you and he goes, now come be like me. I know that you're not perfect, but come do relationships the way that I do. I want you to grow in love for people. So functionally, when it says, be holy as I am holy, your and my holiness is tied to our ability to love other people. Your holiness, the command given to you is tied to your ability to sacrifice, your ability to forgive, your ability to disregard when you are wronged, your ability to heal, your ability to move on, your ability to be affectionate, all of that. When I look at what God wants for me, friends, it's not be a better person. It's not you know, being sinless. When God looks at me and he goes, okay, I want you to function like I do. Here's what I mean by that. I want you to go love people to the degree where you reach the point where you can't function as a human anymore. We're, we're gonna get to the point in this text where he goes, I want you to love so potently that you fail. Like if I told you I want you to go run and you're like, okay, I'm gonna go run. I'm like, no, no, go run as fast as you can. And you're like, okay, I'm running as fast as I can. No, 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 run faster than that. You're like, I can't. I'm literally giving you everything. Okay, good. Now ask me for superhuman abilities to run faster than you can. God goes, I want you to love. You're like, sweet, I'm gonna go love. He goes, no, I want you to love with everything you have in you. You're like, okay, I'm loving with everything I've got in me. And he goes, okay, now go love more than that. 
And when you get to the point where you're like, I got nothing left in the tank, God goes, excellent. Now me and you can move forward. You need to get to the point where you're like, I can't. I got nothing left in me. And that's where we enter this text. It's all about people. Now, to help you understand what he means, again, functionally, we need to look at Philippians 2.3. Again, you don't need to turn there unless you want to. Philippians 2.3. He looks at you, the church, and he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Now, I know some of you in your head, you're already finishing the text because you've heard that one so many times, but just stop. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Do not go to work out of selfish ambition. It will do nothing for you. Do not have sex out of selfish ambition. Don't. Do not go to church out of selfish ambition. Don't pray out of selfish ambition. Don't have kids out of selfish ambition. Don't try to get the promotion out of selfish ambition. Nothing. So I want you to imagine whatever you're doing right now, don't do school in selfish ambition. It won't serve you well. Don't. But rather in humility, value others above yourself. You're starting to see, I hope, how weird you need to look. I need you to understand how odd the Christian is. You you just gotta embrace how goofy God is calling you to behave. In humility, value others above yourself. Don't look to your own interests. That's what humans do. You are other than that. That's what a secular individual does. A Christian looks to the interests of others. Verse five, in all of your relationships, so this is key. So whether you are dating, single, married, Whatever, if, whether you're a leader, you're an RA, you're a teacher, doesn't matter. In all of your relationships, have the same mindset as Jesus, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with him something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, here's what Jesus did, and here's what you do. He made himself absolutely nothing. Where are you making yourself lower than the title that you're gunning for? Make yourself nothing. He made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to become obedient to death, death on a cross. Therefore, so here's what's awaiting you if you take this mindset. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at this name every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue acknowledge that he is Lord. So are you gonna be exalted to that place? No, that's not what I mean. The mindset is this. If I decide that Jesus is worth my everything, he's worth my job, he's worth my promotions, he's worth everything that I thought I wanted, I'm gonna set that aside. Jesus is my king. He's all that I want. And should that happen, should you take that mindset, he goes, glory is awaiting you. Just like our King Jesus was glorified, you will be brought into relationship with God and he's like, good, you did what I thought you should. You listened to me, you obeyed me. The mission, Christian, is love and sacrifice for other people. All of your life hinges on your ability to love other human beings. And so if you're like, sweet, I'm in, how do I do this? That's a good question. The short answer is prayer. So we're gonna look at this. When you go back to the text, what does the text say? So Paul is praying at the beginning of this in 1 Thessalonians 3. Here's what I pray, Lord, Make your love increase in them and overflow that they might love more those in the church and out of the church. He says, love each other and everyone else. So guys, there's a call for you to love everyone at your table. 
There's a call for you to love the people in this church. And then he goes, good. Now, when you've perfected that, now go love everybody else. Everyone else. So you're starting to get a grip maybe on how daunting of a task this is. And he says, may your love increase and may your hearts be strengthened. So there's two things that he prays. He goes, I pray that God would supernaturally increase your ability to love. And two, I pray that you would get a strong heart. So we're gonna touch on both of those this morning. He goes, I pray that your love would increase. What does that immediately let you know? So whenever you see a prayer in scripture, I want you to look at the inverse because that's reality. So if he goes, I pray that your love would increase, what it means is you and I don't have enough. So however kind you think you are, God's like, I need more out of you. However empathetic you think you are, God's like, I need more. However sacrificial you think you are, God's like, all right, next level. Like you, you need to evolve, you need to get better. And it's not this consistent failure mindset, it's good, I've reached a, a, a good level, but I'm not at Jesus yet, all right, next. Growing in your ability to hold people. So men, why should this matter to you? Because one day you will have a wife and you will have children and you will manage companies and you will manage businesses and you will help lead the church. God goes, if you wanna stand any chance of that calling, then grow in your ability to hold the emotional weight of people. Ladies, same to you. You will need to look at a husband and go, in what way can I meet your needs? In what way can I love you? If you wanna stand a chance of honoring that man, of loving him, because he's gonna fail you many times. If you wanna stand a chance at loving your children, really loving them, then you need to grow in your ability to deal with annoying people because your kids are gonna be annoying. And they're, they're gonna insult you and they're gonna wound you and you're gonna go, why in the world did I make this decision? All of us need to grow and increase in our ability to love. Increase, he goes, and here's the thing. This isn't something that you will out of yourself. You don't have what it takes. And this is something you really need to own. And I, you know that this is true because I need you to think of the person that you do not love that you know you should. This is different for everybody, but for some people in this room, you're like, I can't love my mom. I don't have it in me. I just don't love her. I don't like her. I don't like being around her. She makes me feel less than. She's wounded me. She's said and done things that make me feel like garbage. I don't have what it takes. And God's like, then pray that I would supernaturally infuse you with the courage and love that you need to go be with her. Some of you are like, I can't love my dad. He's done too much to me. He's hurt me too many times. You're right, he probably has. And by any human measurable standard, he does not deserve relationship with you. But God didn't call you to that. God called you beyond what humans are capable of. And some of you are like, when I go to school, I just feel like I distance myself from everyone because I'm just tired of people. And then we justify it and we're like, I'm an introvert. No, you are not. You are not. Now, is it okay that some people love being in crowds and others don't? Yes, in that sense, introverts exist. But is it true that we can justify pulling away from other human beings? No, we can't. You were called to this. And the prayer that Paul has is that whatever you think you've got in you, that God would go, okay, next level. We're gonna grow. We're gonna become something so much more than you think you are. And you will love more people than you think is, you're capable of. And some, for some of you, 
It's political. You're like, I can never love a Democrat. I can never love a Republican. Whatever it is. If that is your mindset, friends, and now I, I, I don't mean to make anyone feel bad because I know a couple of you laughed because you're like, that's just silly. Why would anyone think that? Others of you laughed because you know it's true. If you have a mindset that looks at human beings and categorizes them and goes, I just can't love them, you're in the wrong. You are flat out in the wrong. We have been called to something other, and I want you to realize, as much as you might not think it's possible, that's a good feeling, because God goes, you're right, it's not possible. You don't have what it takes, and I need to give you an increase. This is God's increase, not yours. He's the one that's going to make it overflow. And I wanna read to you some scriptures to show you that this is exactly what God intends for you. This is Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope, let me just start there again. May the God of hope. See, some of you don't feel like there is any hope. For whatever relationship you're naming in your heart right now, you're like, there's no hope for this. God goes, ah, that's not how I operate. There's always hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and all peace as you trust him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, for some of you, there's depths of love and grace and forgiveness and intimacy you have yet to reach. But God goes, do you trust me? In the same way that my kids are like, Dad, where are we going? And I'm like, you need to trust me. In the same way that my eight, six, and three-year-old grab their daddy's hand and walk with me, you need to grab your daddy's hand and you need to move forward. You're like, God, I don't see a future. God's like, I know, I do though, trust me. We will make it through this relationship, but you have to believe that I'm gonna keep you safe and that I'm gonna develop you and this person that you're praying for. Romans 5, 5. And this hope, will not lead to disappointment. Do you believe this? This hope that God has for you will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us his Holy Spirit to, to what? This is Romans 5.5, 5, to fill our hearts with love. Your ability to move past what you think is impossible is the display of how much trust you have in the Lord. Your ability to go to people groups or relationships or family that in your mind, you're like, there's no way in hell I'm ever going to this person. And God's like, good, let's start there. You will not move on to other more beautiful and I would argue easier relationships if you don't heal the ones that are difficult. Because some of you have it in your mind, you're like, you're like here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna find, like ladies, you're like, I'm gonna find a guy who's super kind and emotionally mature and he's never gonna hurt me, wrong. That guy doesn't exist. That's a unicorn, friends, and that's fantasy. And the guys are looking for a woman that's not emotionally dramatic and she's got all of her crap together and she's never gonna lose it. Unicorn. Unicorn. We're basing all of our, rela and we do this with best friends. We're like, I'm gonna find a buddy and me and him are gonna love the same things and we're gonna go do the same things and we're never gonna hurt each other. We're never gonna say stupid crap. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. As I've said many times before, when you look at scripture, whenever best friends are described, they're always heavily needy, always. Your friends will hurt you. Your girlfriend will wound you. Your boyfriend will disappoint you. Your husband, your wife, your spouse is going to disappoint you. So if the entirety of your life is built around finding friends that are never gonna hurt you, you will forever be disappointed. You're never gonna make it. Your friendships are gonna suck. Dating is gonna be impossible and marriage is a dream. 
But if I am to understand that God is calling me into deep, forgiving, gracious relationship, both with him and with other people, then all the other relationships make sense. All of them. Because then you can find a woman that maybe has been broken. You can find a woman that's not this dream girl, but she really is. She's a more beautiful dream than you could have even imagined. You're gonna say yes to certain people that before you wouldn't have because some of you are looking for the perfect altogether put together person. They don't exist. They do not exist. Some of you are looking for best friends where you're never gonna need to work and friends, that's not friendship. Your friends are gonna be immature. Your friends are gonna let you down and you need to pray, Lord, give me an increase of you because I don't have what it takes. And God's like, great prayer. Great prayer, I'm with you. The second thing that he prays after an increase of love, he says, Lord, would you strengthen their hearts? So again, what is the inverse of a strong heart? It's a weak heart. So if he's praying that you would have a strong heart, do you think you already have one? No, you don't. You and I, as described in scripture, have weak, wicked hearts. They're broken. They don't have an enlarged capacity to the same degree that I don't expect my five-year-old to run a marathon. She's not ready. And so God looks at you and he's calling you to an emotional, relational marathon, and yet we don't have what it takes. Our heart's gonna fail. So when you think about hearts, I want you to think about yours. Don't compare to anybody. Just think about yours. Because the way I see it, there's strong hearts and there's weak hearts. He's praying for strong ones, but when I look at weak ones, there's really two types of weak hearts. And I want you to understand maybe what you have. I'm not trying to insult you, but you need to look at your heart and analyze where am I at. And maybe you're at a good, healthy place, and that's awesome. But weak hearts look like two different types of people. If I have a weak heart, it's either going to run or it's going to fight. If you have a weak heart, you are either going to run or you're going to fight. It's like flight or flight. Fl flight or fight, excuse me, if I could talk. So when you understand your heart, what does it do? What does a weak heart do when it runs? Weak hearts have a shallow emotional capacity. And when I look at it, this person, the person that runs, they make excuses all the time. This person gives up easily. This person is often single because relationships are too scary. This person doesn't risk because risk is really hard and it hurts. And they rarely serve because they're terrified that people are going to be cruel and mean to them. And you're right, they will be. Weak hearts run from opportunities in life and relationships and ministry. Now, am I saying that any single person in here is a weak heart? I'm not saying that. But I am saying that some people could be in relationships, but they don't because they're terrified that they're not gonna get it right. This person is crazy type A and never wants to make mistakes. That's a weak heart. Weak hearts are also mean and they, get, and they fight. This person is commonly agitated. This person is unexplainably angry all the time. You're just not fun to be around, okay? This person often has many friends, but they're shallow because this person desperately wants control, desperately. And they're never gonna hurt because they've ordered all their relationships and they've stopped at any level of intimacy where someone could potentially get in and really know them. That's an angry, cruel heart. And you've kept people at a distance because you never wanna hurt again. Now, what do both of them have in common? They've both been hurt. So when you look at your life, some of you have stopped relationships, not completely, but you've stopped them at a certain distance because you've said in your heart, I'm never gonna hurt again. 
You tried it, right? You did good. You tried dating or you tried your family or you tried school or you tried it, whatever. But then you, you tried church and you got hurt. The pastor wasn't perfect, God forbid. And you're like, oh, I'm not doing church. And God's like, really? You're gonna give up after one poor attempt. You're gonna give up on relationships after one attempt. And you're like, no, 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 Tyler, I've done many attempts. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Weak hearts give up. They just stop. And here's the thing. All of you on setting default have a weak heart. And so God looks at you and he looks at me and he goes, do you want to know my prayer for you? And this is the prayer you need to have for yourself. Lord Jesus, and I'm just going to pray this over you right now. King Jesus, develop in me the heart that you desire. Help me love because I don't want to. Help me see the people that you're calling me to be with. Build in me courage. Develop in me a reckless, relentless pursuit just like the way you pursued me. Amen. That is God's heart for you. When I read Ezekiel 36, 26, it says this, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. What you need to understand about the way you do relationships, see, some of you have taken all of your emotions and you've just made that the norm. That's not the norm. God's like, there's a whole other world of communication, of love and acceptance and forgiveness. You just have yet to reach it because you're just content with this brick that you've got in your chest. He's like, that's a piece of stone. What I'm ready to do for you, should you ask me for it, is I'm gonna give you a real heart. I'm gonna chip away all the granite and I'm gonna give you something that really pumps and goes for people. This is all available to you, friends. All you need to do is pray and ask for it. There is no relationship that is too far gone or broken for God to heal you and heal the people that he's calling you to. And some of you are like, nope, screw it. I'm gonna leave that one broken and I'm gonna go pursue all these new ones. And God's like, nope. No, you need to go fix what's broken. We're not gonna go pursue what is new and good and beautiful until you fix what is old and broken in your head. We're gonna go make that new because I made you new. Any level of gratitude you feel for what Jesus did for you, why don't we go do that with other people? That is holiness. That makes you weird. That makes you different because you're pursuing people that everyone else, your therapist is like, no, 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 they hurt you. Like, don't go back to that. Your therapist is wrong. They're just wrong. Now, are there, you know, rare instances where there's someone who's truly, like, physically abusive and cruel and you, sh like, should you not go back to them? I, I would agree with that. I would. There's... There's slight differences in everybody's story. So I'm not saying go back to abusive individuals. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is our hearts are desperately weak. And when they get hurt, we're just like, man, I can't handle another one of those. You can. You, God thinks more of you than you think of yourself. And God can give you strength that you can't even imagine. So when I look at a healthy heart, what does a healthy heart do? Number one, it rejects functional individualism. Okay, you need to understand you live in America, the land of the free, home of the brave, and we're, we're you know, give me my amazing house away from everyone. Guys, I, I love America, I genuinely do, but it has birthed this idea of individual freedom so potent that it gets into the church and it just warps us. It just does. You, like, the idea that God, like, yes, there's individuals, I get that, but of all the things God could create, 
to go change the world. He's like, I'm gonna take a bunch of broken people. I'm gonna put them together. I'm gonna give them a leadership structure, the church, and I'm just gonna launch them. Guys, of all the things God could create, he was like, I want a group of people together. Not a bunch of individuals. I want a bunch of weak, broken people, and they're gonna go absolutely decimate evil in the world. That's you. If you're gonna have a healthy heart, you need to reject functional individualism. Okay, life is about people. It's about community. And we're either for that or we're against it. Not saying you can't enjoy your alone time. I enjoy my alone time, but I need to be with people and so do you. Next, a healthy heart listens. Repeatedly throughout scripture, it was like value others more than yourself. Value others more than yourself. Are you listening? Or are you so scared with the enormity of all the stuff you've got to deal with that you're like, man, Tyler, I'm, I'm so busy. I'm so scared. I'm so, like, life is so nuts. I don't think I can listen to anybody else. There's your problem. Could it be that you're so stressed because you're viewing your list of to-dos and you're valuing that so much that you're not going to other people? And God's like, that's why you're so stressed. Let go. Let go of all the things you think you need to do. God's like, I'm gonna take care of that. If you follow me and my plan and my righteousness, I'm gonna make your path straight. I will give you exactly what you need to do if you start looking at other people and you're like, you know what? I am crazy busy, but you matter. You matter right now. I'm gonna sit with you, my friend, for hours and process life with you. And I'm gonna help you figure out things. I don't have any of my life figured out, but I'm gonna be with you. We're just gonna sit together. You listen. And that will profoundly change the way that you move forward. See, because it's funny to me, there's so many people, we're, we're living in a culture right now that is so desperately in love with counseling. And I, I love counseling. I think it's amazing. I think some people need it. I don't think we all need it as much as the world says we do. You wanna know what you need? You need a good friend that's just gonna sit and listen. There are some people that come to me and they're like, Tyler, I, I need some time with you. We gotta chat. Like, I need, I need some counseling. I'm like, no, you don't. A after five minutes of listening, not with everyone, but with some people, I'm like, you don't need my counseling at all. You, you need to verbal process out loud with a friend. Your life's really not that bad. You just need someone to say, I love you, I care about you, and whatever you're going through, I'm, I'm gonna be with you. You need friends, you need community, you don't need professional counseling. Now, if you do need that, that's fine. I'm not rejecting counseling, I don't think it's bad. It's wonderful. And I do think some people need it, but I think we need friends more than we think we do. Here's another thing a healthy heart does. They overlook sin and grievances. Again, I said it before, and I say this a lot, and I don't mean to demean marriage. My goodness, I love marriage. I, I, I desperately love my wife, but you need to understand how much your spouse is gonna hurt you. Like, they're, they're gonna say things, and you're gonna, like, reel back and just be like, wow, that, that was actually legitimately cruel. Like, why would you be so selfish that you would let that crap come out of your mouth? It's because they're broken. And your spouse is gonna get tired. And they're not gonna have all their stuff together all the time. They're gonna get mad at you. They're gonna get selfish and instead of listening to you, they're gonna only listen to themselves. And this isn't forever, guys, these are moments. Friends are this way all the time. And I admit I do this. I'm like, there are people that I love to hang out with and I tell my wife, I'm like, I like them because they're not any work. But that's a lie. That's a lie of friendship that they're a good friend if they don't take work. Your good friends will take a lot of work because they're not perfect. They love you. They just don't always display it well. And you need to learn how to overlook when people hurt you. you. You need to learn how to get hurt. 
you need to learn how to be like, wow, that was a really stupid thing to say, but doggone it, I love you. And I'm in. I'm into all of your stupid, okay? Because your friends are gonna be stupid. Love them. Love them anyway. And go, God, I don't have what it takes to stay with them, but I know you do, so help me. And finally, a good heart, a healthy heart is gonna serve. Every time scripture talks about your specific gifting, whether it's spiritual, practical, opportunities, whatever it is, it always mentions them in light of giving them away. Why were you given spiritual gifting? To go bless the church. Why were, you, why were you giving practical gifting in different graces of God that you would go serve and love other people? Every time, guys. It never goes, I'm gonna give you special gifting and you're just gonna delight in it. No. It says, here's gifting, now go use it. A healthy heart understands who I am in Jesus and I'm gonna go apply it to other people. That's your life. And then you're gonna die and you're gonna go to heaven and then we will just dance and delight and play and work and all that fun stuff. That's coming. For now, we've got some hard emotional work to do. And finally, if you're sitting there, you're like, why in the world would I ever do this? This seems like too much work. When you read at the end, here's what he says in 1 Thessalonians 3. He says, be blameless in holiness in the presence of our God and Father when the Lord Jesus comes with all of his holy ones. Notice the very last words. What's Jesus coming with? All of his holy ones, which means what for you? It means there are those before you that have died and they're sitting with God and they did what you are called to do. They loved people, they cherished them, they worked through all their emotional garbage and they made it. You need to understand that what God is calling you to do is doable. He doesn't call you to something truly impossible because not to sound cheesy, but the Bible says with him, all things, all relationships, all marriages, all friendships, all dating experiences, all schooling, all work, all of that is possible with Jesus. He goes, God's like, I'm coming back. So if you wanna use that to scare yourself, do it, that's fine. If you're like, why should I love? Well, because your God's coming back, okay? So let, let that spur you on. But if you wanna just delight in it, know that God's coming back with your friends. He's coming back with your family. He's coming back with redeemed family lines. And maybe you're the one to redeem your family line. And one day you will die and you're gonna go meet the Lord in the air. And when Jesus comes back, he's like, all right, come with me. You're coming back as a military. You're coming back as an army to defeat all evil and set up God's kingdom on earth permanently, physically, forever. That's what's coming. And so for now, we work our butts off to love our unbelieving parents and we love our siblings that might not love Jesus and we love our friends in the church that are not always kind and not always affectionate, but we're gonna be there for them and we're gonna help transform them and we're gonna go meet a city that wants us to shut down and we will love them because that is what we are called to. There are levels of relationship available to you should you but ask. Okay, so friends, as we look at this, love like he's coming back. Love like he is coming back. Let me pray for you. Father, you are good and you are perfect and you are holy and you sent your son to die for our sins, for our iniquity, and you took it on yourself so that we could be in relationship with you forever. Lord, please forgive us of the way that we have rejected people and rejected friends and rejected relationship because we're scared of it. Forgive us, Lord, please. We've been weak and childish, but I pray that you would make us mature and adult-like in our faith. 
Give us grit. I pray that the young adults of Salem First Baptist Church would be some of the most healthy, emotionally mature people in the world. Develop in them a heart of grit and endurance that we would love powerfully. I pray for those that are single, that they would love their families and love their friends and one day love a spouse. I pray for those that are married, that God, they would look past emotional immaturity, that they would look past sin and grievances, that they would forgive and love deeply and transform each other. Thank you for this group. Thank you for your word. It is a privilege to preach it, to study it, and to give it my best shot. God, you, you genuinely do work with broken people. So thank you for this beautiful day and for all of these friends. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Garage Podcast. We hope the message has made you think deeper about faith and will strike up new conversations as you go about your week. If you want to hear more messages like this, make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Have a great week.